0: Today on CityCast Denver. The time has come for you to start caring about the Denver mayor's race. I know, I know, 2023 still seems so far away, but in reality, we're less than a year out from the municipal election. And the candidates have officially started coming out of the woodwork. But you shouldn't just care about who's going to be Denver's next mayor, because city council increasingly holds more power in the city, and the people sitting on it could change next year too. Me, Bree, and Westward founder and editor, Patty Calhoun, are giving you all the inside election goss you need as you start wondering who the heck are these people and why should I check a box for them on my ballot next year? Today is Friday, April 15th, 2022. I'm Xandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the fifth most expensive city to live in in the whole United States, apparently. <sighs> Regular host Brie Davies, uh, did that stat that came out this week surprise you?
1: No. No. It bummed me out internally yeah. as it does, but am I surprised? No, I mean, I, I watch... I. I think a lot of people do this. You treat Zillow like a app that's like a game almost. Oh yeah, that's you me. check it one hundred percent. You're watching home prices. You're seeing what's available in your neighborhood. You're seeing what seeing what burned down shack is for sale for five hundred thousand dollars. So no, <laughs> I I again. I but pay fifth, too much attention.
0: This I mean, it's it's crazy when you when you have like a really tangible thing to like like only California cities were higher on the list. I'm pretty sure. Well, how about you, Westward Editor and founder, Patty Calhoun? What did you think about that? Well, we look
2: at those stats all the time because they send them out all the time in different lists And them. We will probably fall from fifth and be like seventh and then bounce around again. But there's no question, if you are trying to buy a house in Denver, Colorado, it is almost impossible. The demand is so high, even at any prices. So you've got the median, I think, it's 660000 That's a huge chunk of change for almost anyone to be able to afford. So you can't help the looky-loo, go see what your house sold yeah. for, go see what your neighbor's house sold for. And you're like, well, I could sell my house, but then where would I go? Yeah. And that becomes the other issue. I was
1: going to say, I've got a couple friends in that position who maybe, and we've actually talked about it as well. Like we have a family and our house is very small, but... Where would we go? Mm -hmm.
0: There's nowhere really to go. Right. Yeah. You might sell your house for a great profit, but but then what? (laughs) But then you know if you want to, especially if you want to stay
1: in. I mean, that was important for us. We wanted to stay in Denver because Mm -hmm. you know I work. My work is Denver. I talk about Denver. I wanted to be able to vote, and that's what we're talking about today. I wanted to vote in Denver
0: yeah, well, thank you. I was gonna make a very <laughs> sloppy segue from this conversation into our main topic today because you can bet that the issue of housing is probably going to be top of mind uh, for next year's uh, city election in uh, in Denver. And I'm talking about the Denver mayor's race and the city council races. So that's that's what we're doing today. we're We're previewing the twenty twenty three city election because, I think it's it's shaping up to be kind of a juicy one, especially with the mayor's race. I mean, Mayor Michael Hancock is terming out, so we will absolutely have a new mayor. Um, and I think more and more people have started to kind of dip their toe in the water for running for mayor, um, especially in the last couple of weeks. More people have started to announce. Most recently, we heard that uh, civil rights activist and former gang member Terrence Roberts who's also a past Cast Denver guest, plans to run for mayor. Um, and there's been a lot of other rumblings and rumors. So uh, we're still a year out from this election, though. So I'm wondering, Patty, do these announcements feel premature?
2: No, they actually aren't because we're less than a year out. We are oh. voting a, a month earlier. In oh, 2023, oh, right. so because we had to vote, that's right. uh, we, voters approved moving it up a month. So yeah, you have to have two months before the runoff, yep. and we under state and federal law, and we didn't. So. April 4th is actually the date of the election in 2023. So under a year is not too early to announce because what you want to do is secure money.
1: I was going to say the fundraising is
2: You want to scare some people out. I mean, Terrence Roberts, it's not like there's going to be a former gang competition to become a candidate. So there's no one else who fills his niche. But there are other people, legislators looking at it, city boosters looking at it, and the first in those different areas might scare out others. The other thing you ha- people have to know is you don't necessarily have to raise as much money this time because we also voted to fund elections. So there is $8 million in the Denver Kitty that can go to candidates who qualify. So
1: we oh. could use that up pretty fast if we have enough mayoral candidates, though. Yeah, it's a funds matching Uh, situation. And I'm not going to do a great job of explaining it, but we did vote to create this fund.
0: Is that to kind of like level the playing field? Interesting. And it's not even a match.
2: You have to qualify at a certain level and then you get this amount of funds. But you also have to agree if you do that not to take certain contributions over a certain level. So it is,
1: it's leveling the playing field and it'll make it very different next time. And that's interesting, Patty, that you, if you do take advantage of this fund, that you can't take certain Uh, donations of a certain size because I I think I wanted to talk about this anyway, but campaign finance is really fascinating to me. It's something that's available to the public and you can see where people's money's coming from and you might not like that. That might change your mind about a candidate when you start to see who's backing them.
2: So you would be able to see who were the people who signed up to give them a certain amount because that's what you have to do to qualify. But you're not going to see the big donors as you have in the past. And there still can be dark money. and. We've seen dark money enter because those are unaffiliated with the candidates. We've seen dark money in the referendums last fall yes. when they entered in mm-hmm. um in the fight against the homeless sites and those other things. So w- I think we'll see that again.
0: Who who are these typical big donors in Denver? Like what families are we talking about?
1: The family of developers. Yeah, I was going oh. to say it's money real estate. It's real estate, it's real estate associations, it's it's all tied to real estate generally speaking.
0: yeah and so their agenda is obviously like let's get someone in there who's pro development well because
1: it's you know developing in any city involves the government so you know if you've got a little sway like the downtown Denver partnership hate to pick on them again but um but they're so
0: easy to they're <laughs> so easy to pick on. <laughs>
1: But they've had a lot of involvement uh, with the city in terms of what things get financed and how things get done and what projects Mm -hmm. get funding and like we do have control over that to a certain extent as voters through things like bonds, but it's a little easier when you got the ear of the mayor.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we mentioned Terrence Roberts by name. Is, is there anyone else, Bree, that has announced or there are, there are rumors, like it's kind of an open I, secret that they're thinking that you that you caught your eye?
1: No, I mean, I, I just want to say I think Terrence Roberts is the most interesting candidate so far. And yeah. I would say, um, formerly running, working on a campaign, I would say similar to Terrence's when I worked on Kaylin Heffernan's campaign, his issue, I think what he's going to do, if anything, is bring his issues to light, whether he makes it any further or not. But his uh, defining issues are addressing the housing crisis, homelessness, youth violence, and development of the music and film industry. I was oh. like, this guy is right up my alley. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated by his his interest in this position.
0: Yeah. Well, Patty, um, I know Westward did a story about how, um, you know, there were there were reserved domain names for certain uh, people that, you know, kind of gives a sneak peek into who might be running. Or who is certainly thinking about running. So when you think about
2: it 12 years from the new election, we had 11 candidates, mayoral candidates and Hancock took it. So I think we might have that many again, which Mm -hmm. would talk to the $8 million disappearing pretty fast. You see people lining up like Terrence. You've got a couple longtime activists, Jeremy Seacou, Jesse. Yeah, Parrish, who've already yeah. signed up. But the people who've taken domain domain names out are Kelly Bruff, former head of the Chamber of Commerce here. She was rumored even four years ago. To I was going to say she was. And in fact, back then. I'm sure regrets not running because you could see four years ago that was a referendum on Hancock and he was pretty close to being beaten. I was going to say he narrowly oh, yeah. right, escaped. So I think we will see this being a referendum on Hancock again, although he won't be running. But we will certainly hear people criticizing what he did and people looking or for a new vision of the do. city. Yeah. So you have a couple different legislators who are looking at it. Leslie Harrod, Chris Hansen, Alec Arnett, who said he was. Now he's maybe saying he isn't. But they still have domain names. A lot of those are a lot of those candidates, potential candidates are waiting for the legislature to end in May. But there's going to be a big lineup. and There are many more names rumored.
1: I'm curious where the lines are going to be drawn when we come to our I think our biggest issue at this time is unhoused, the unhoused situation. So there's very clear groups working on different sides of this issue. There's like the clean, safe and compassionate or whatever people. And then there's like the Denver Homeless Out Loud folks. So I'm curious where those groups will align with which candidates they think are going to be on their side of this situation. Right.
2: And do those groups really have money? So that's the other issue. Denver Homeless Out Loud is not going to be buying a lot of campaign ads. Right. Then you also have certain single issues, like if Leslie Harrod runs, I think we would certainly see maybe dark money going against her because of fentanyl, though. Some of those are going to be issues, too, that will draw
1: draw people out. Oh, God, now I'm just dreading those campaign ads. But
2: the campaign ads are (laughs) going to be bad. There is no question.
0: I'm sure. Well, and going back to this race being really crowded um, and historically, the Denver mayor's race has always been a really crowded one. Um, so I'm wondering, like, do you think how, how many of these people do you think are are seriously running to be mayor or like, Patty, do you think some of these people are throwing their hat in to kind of make a statement or, you know, try and just just bring attention to certain issues?
2: I think at least six of them, at least half of them will be really serious candidates. Mm -hmm. And you also you see how that splits the field, which can make people who might look like they don't have that big a chance look more likely because you'd need the top, the top two vote getters, unless someone gets 50% of the vote, which is not going to happen, no. go to the runoff. So if you have a lot of city booster type candidates, they could wind up splitting the vote and a renegade coming around the side might wind up in the runoff. I've moderated a lot of debates 12 years ago with these candidates. And I was interested in how many people were very serious, had really studied the issues, and any one of them could have kind of come up along the side.
0: Um, All right. So we've talked about funding and how, um, you know, there's this this fund, this new fund that's going to help candidates uh, level the playing field. But I'm wondering, can we dig in to why like what difference does funding really make in this election? Like what what does it give you access to? Um, You know, how, how much of a difference does it make?
2: It makes a huge difference because if you have 12 candidates, you do need some money to break out, whether you're advertising on social media, whether you you need a campaign staff, you still need to get your name out there. And that's what enables you to do it. You can't count on the media to get your name out there. They're, it's too scattered. People aren't committed to the same kind of covering every candidate the way daily mainstream papers used to do. So you do, you do you do need that
1: attention to break out. Well, and I know from experience on working on a campaign with little money was um, we didn't get into or invited to some debates because we didn't Mm. hit the $10,000 mark. Uh. Um, And we tried to make arguments like, hey, well, you know, we raised a couple hundred dollars and we fed this many people with that money or we built. So, you know, I was on Kaylin Heffernan's campaign and she's a person who uses a wheelchair. So we did this campaign, these campaign events where we would build ramps into inaccessible spaces. So we would say, oh, we, we built this many ramps with this much money. But we were trying to equate that, like we may not be worth $10,000, but we've been doing this kind of work in the community to get attention for our campaign and our, our candidate. But um, it definitely keeps you out of a lot of mainstream debates.
2: And that's another thing that's going to have to change. Because if you level the playing field on funding, how do you cut off who gets to come out? If yeah. six or eight candidates qualify, they're going to all have to be up on that stage, which I think is good. You can, I do too. yeah. You can. It's
1: tough though to get enough out of candidates when there's so many people on the stage and you have an hour to hear from all those candidates. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, I like that aspect.
2: Yeah, it takes good. It takes strong rules yes. and it takes a good buzzer system. <laughs> and interestingly. All the candidates in that in that election in 2019 were agreed that Kaylin, whenever she was there, she really upped the ante in the conversation. I remember Penn Tate saying that whenever she was there, it was a better debate. And that's one of the reasons you want to have some of the renegade candidates or whatever you want, not the usual suspects. They're going to challenge people. They're going to bring up different issues that matter maybe more to people around the city than the same
1: old stuff. Yeah. And and that that Everyone is going to be saying the same old stuff. Right. And I think that was that was Kalen's whole purpose was like she was aware. I mean, she got enough. We joked she got enough votes to fill the Fillmore Auditorium, which is pretty exciting if you can get a couple thousand people to vote for you. Yeah. Um. But she knew she was she was not going to make it. But the biggest thing for her was to bring those issues to the table and push the other candidates to talk about things like the housing crisis in a different way. And um, and I will say, all of the candidates were very nice and cool to us. And I, I think respected her campaign in a, in a cool way. Um, but it can get real nasty. like, And that's the thing I'm not looking forward to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, well, I want to pivot a little bit because I, I want to compare and contrast everything we just said about the mayor's race to the city council races, mm-hmm. Like, like same rules. How is it different when it comes to city council?
2: City council also will qualify, not for as much money, but all the municipal positions can go, candidates can go for these matching funds. So it's gonna make it easier for some people to run for council districts. And of course, those are smaller areas. If you get your ground game going, you can get name recognition and the added funding would really help and change things. It's rare that an incumbent city council person doesn't make it and the districts weren't changed that much. But we did see it before. Two or three. I mean, we saw
1: Wayne New unseated by Chris Hines. We saw Mary Beth Sussman unseated by Amanda Sawyer, I think. And then... um Albus oh, Brooks. Albus Brooks and, right. and so, Kennedy oh, yeah. That They, they so, were all incumbents. That and was that a shake could up. happen again. And I think
2: that also showed what happened with council people in the 2019 race, showed how concerned people were with Mayor Michael Hancock. He still got a run for his money from Jamie Gillis and the other candidates that were involved. And I think Albus, especially, who was identified closely with the Hancock administration, did not. That didn't People help him. didn't want to see more of the same. And that's what booted him out.
1: What council? Districts are you watching? Where do you think is going to be the interesting race? Well, certainly what's going to happen in Candy's
2: district, which is one of the most changed because downtown is moving into mostly Chris Hines' district. Oh, with the redistricting. Mm -hmm. So that Candy makes
1: more sense to me.
2: Well, when you think about the concerns of Capitol Hill and the Golden Triangle, they align more with downtown. downtown. And this moves Globeville, Ilaria Swansea over with Park Hill. And that could be interesting if there's a strong candidate that comes out
1: of the Park Hill area oh. who challenges Candy. Because Candy's from the Globeville, Ilaria Swansea. So that's kind
2: of a mixed district and there are a lot of very savvy campaigners in Park Hill, as we've seen over all the Park Hill golf course oh, fights. God.
1: Shut what up. do you think about Kendra Blackseat in southeast Denver since she's not, she's just so choosing that's, not yeah, to run again.
2: That's wide open. So that I'm could curious. be a really interesting one. As you see, homelessness, not as big an issue no. there, but certainly housing, housing costs yeah. and services. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, what issues do you think we're going to hear um, people running for city council talk a lot about housing. besides housing? I mean, housing yeah.
1: crisis and homelessness together. Yeah. Uh, the camping Concerns. Um, that's a really good question. What else possibly in crime structure? Oh, crime, crime will right. certainly be that's one. Right.
2: You know, the swing yeah. on fentanyl, the prop cro- property crime too, which you've got the cars. Maybe we'll hear about downtown, and we'll find out which candidates actually have been downtown mm-hmm. to see that downtown is not dead, but. It's going to be a
1: fascinating race. That's going to be the do you ride the bus question. Instead of like, are you a person that rides the bus? It's going to be, are you the person that goes downtown as a candidate? Do you go downtown? What are your thoughts on downtown Denver? Like, what is your perspective? Because that will be, you're right, Patty, that'll be super telling about the relevancy of the council people, like people that are vying for these positions, because something else we need to think about is like we have a strong are we still a strong mayor government? Yes. But our council makes a lot of major decisions. And our council has
2: taken more power. For example, the council now gets to vote on major appointments. That wasn't
1: true four years ago. So our council is taking power away bit by bit. So it is something to I think that's something that folks maybe don't think about is like the mayor's race is a big deal. But who represents you? in your district, it's a big deal. They have a lot of, they make a lot of decisions for you. Especially as we see the development and so housing, but
2: specifically, you come out of your house after two years in the pandemic and you look up and what are these monolithic apartment buildings that are actually cropping up all over the city now? And some people, a lot of people don't like them. So you're going to, be talking to your district representative and say, why is that apartment building allowed to be built right to the sidewalk? Yeah. Maybe over the sidewalk. What's happening? Why are these scrapes being allowed? So I think we're going to hear about a lot of just what is happening to neighborhoods and the quality of life.
1: And what's interesting to me is this is often a conversation about lower income neighborhoods where we talk about what's being scraped and built. But I walk Wash Park pretty regularly. You want to talk about a neighborhood that's been scraped? It's wild. But the thing, too, is they're not replacing those single-family homes with multiple family homes. They're just replacing them with bigger single-family homes. So it's not really addressing the crisis. I think another aspect of this that will be interesting is if we... um, If the ADU conversation continues to go further, like if more neighborhoods start to be talked, start to talk about that option, which is building additional housing on existing lots without scraping what's there, which to me is like a really awesome way for neighborhoods to start adding density is allowing folks to build on their own property.
0: Yeah, and there was that, um, that stat that came out this week that I think they had surveyed Denver homeowners, and it was like 70% were in favor of ADUs or like more density. And, and that's changed, I yeah. would say. That,
1: that's, that's an interesting turn. That's, um, my, that's my bright spot for Denver, is I hope we can embrace that a little bit more.
0: Well, yeah, and that may, that makes me wonder, too. So what else do you think voters are looking mm-hmm. for in the mayor's race, in in city council candidates? You know, like what what do voters want out of their representatives? I
2: think they also want to see a vision for Denver because people yeah. are not really happy with where we are right now. I've said it before i think denver's lost its mojo people used to feel like it was a really special place now it's a place that's really expensive and maybe special for a tiny number yeah. of people so i think we're going to see a lot of that quality of life issue i would hope on the housing subset you get into Airbnbs that are bought by houses that are bought by speculators, break the Airbnb rules where, you know, that's what you love about the granny flats. If you build an ADU unit on your property, you could use that as an Airbnb, fine, or rent it out to someone else. But I still think there are many, many violations. A lot of houses in this town have been bought up by speculators or people just renting them as Airbnbs illegally.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, too. I'll be curious to see how that plays out. I love that vision for the city idea, Patty. I think uh, you're correct. A lot of us feel, I know, I can attest, I feel a little lost Mm -hmm. about what Denver is and what makes it so special. And um, what are those big projects we're going to see in the next 20 years that are going to change the face of the city? Because that's kind of Denver's MO, you know, big development. We don't, we don't do it small although when you think about
2: it when Pena ran in 83 which was really a sea change and they had the slogan imagine a great city we kind of need to use our imaginations again we need to finish our big projects what other big <laughs> you know we need the airport I was to maybe just at the airport finish. and its it's not finished. <laughs> At least it looks like we are not going to get a shopping mall in the middle of the airport. Right. But what will we get? Hard to see. The National Western has to be finished. Mm-hmm. We The convention center is being done. We've got transportation in the works. So will someone come in with a vision, finish these projects competently, but give us something more? And more might not be a physical structure. It might be a celebration of the city. It might be festivals. It might be paying attention to the people who live here. <laughs>
1: also I think uh there was a recent report about our air quality issues and a lot of mm-hmm. that is is talked about as uh, our dependence on cars and I wonder how much the transit conversation will have in or what what role that will play in our our upcoming election
2: well in climate change the, both of those are regional issues too True. so with transportation, People That's will talk about call. it bike. I don't see bike lanes, for example, being a big discussion this time, yeah. but they could be. I don't see downtown parking and the parking rates going up being a big discussion. All oh, of those. Those have certainly come up. Climate change will come up somewhat. But I really think it's going to be the cost of living and the quality of living yep. that are going to be huge.
0: Mm. Okay, so before we uh, wrap up this topic, I just want to ask to because I think something that bugs me about like these really far out election previews is like I'm like, as a voter, I don't know what to do with this, Uh, like beyond like, okay, like the horse race can be interesting sometimes. But like as a voter, how how can we put this in a context that is helpful to me right now? Like, what advice would you give people listening right now who are starting to think towards this election and and watching people start to come out of the woodwork and announce their candidacies?
1: That is really tough. I have a I have a hard time.
0: Well, <laughs> I would people think people
2: interested uh, before think, it's really time. But people think, what what two things would you like to see happen in this city? You know, what are the issues that matter to you? But also think, are there thing are there good ideas you could give the next mayor? Start thinking about it. Start talking to people. Because I do think voters can set the agenda before they actually have to fill out a
0: ballot. Mm. I love that. That's a great note to leave on. Well, Patty, thank you so much. This was so helpful. Um, uh, Before we let you go, though, I want to ask uh, one last question to you. Um, We got to ask you about Pete's Satire Lounge because it just got uh, it's all remodeled and they're having their big reopening this Saturday. Have you seen what it looks like? I
2: have only seen it in our photographs. They were and great one. They were great. Skylar McKinley wrote a great story. Yeah, it was one of the very first restaurants I came to when I came to Denver experiencing Denver Mexican food. And the guy who served it, Joey, is still, still there. Still there. This plate is hot. And they made a neon sign that says this plate is hot. So looks much better than the last time when it kind of turned into a bad cantina. It Looks like a really great addition to Colfax.
1: Yeah, I have to say I was a little skeptical at first when I saw the headline. I was like, "Ugh!" and then I saw like initially the photo. I was like, oh, they got rid of the booths. And then it was like I read Skylar's story is great, um, giving some context to the change of Pete's, but how they're really trying to keep the feeling of this. Cool bar. It's a cool bar. And I like that it doesn't look like it's trying too hard. The neon is fantastic inside. And Colfax can, needs, Colfax can always use more cool bars. Like, I, I'm excited for that. And them. cool bars that pay homage to
2: the history, yes. because it's still in the family that it yeah, bought it 60 grandson. years ago. Yeah, his grandson's running it, Pete's grandson. So that's oh. great. But it's open now. But you can celebrate this weekend.
0: Yeah, great. go. That's I mean, if you're looking for, you for a do. cap hill spot, yeah, that's gonna be a that's our recommendation. That's a great spot, awesome. All right, well, thanks, Bree. Thanks, Patty. No problem. Have Thank a good you. weekend. Get yeah. your mojo back, Denver. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Alexander McMahon, Paul Caroli, and Carly Jones. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our regular host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. What are you waiting for? Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at Denver.citycast.fm. Hope to see you at Pete's Satire Lounge this weekend.